Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. Let's get right into our issue of the day, which is how to have a breakthrough. Who wouldn't want to have a breakthrough? I noticed breakthroughs this week because I was coaching some people. I'm, As you know, I work a lot around the issue of anxiety these days. And I was also coaching people through some very big tasks in the physical world. And I realized that the process of having a breakthrough is always the same, no matter whether the breakthrough is an internal one, like psychological one, a career one, um, having to do with uh, something having to do with relationship or a spiritual issue. They all have the same pattern. And unfortunately, it is the pattern that consists of tunneling your way through a solid rock mountain headed for the light. And it would be nice if you could see the light at the end of your tunnel, but that is not the nature of the tunnel. That is not the nature of breakthroughs. Breakthroughs happen because you take the same unrewarding step over and over and over, making a tiny bit of progress over and over and over until one day everything changes. Some of you may have read um, a bestseller right now by the title of Atomic Habits. It's by James Clear. It's really good. If you haven't read it, you, you might enjoy it very much if you like the stuff that I do. I love this book. And he uses an analogy that I'd never heard before. And I love it. What he says is if you raise the temperature, say you go outside on a cold day. We had an ice storm here in Pennsylvania where every single, we got up in, in the morning and every twig, every leaf, every blade of grass had its own little coating of perfectly clear ice. It was the most beautiful thing. It was just a world of diamonds. And, um, and it just stayed because the temperature was like 20 degrees. Now the temperature went up through the day. It went up to 21, nothing happened. 22, nothing happened. 23, nothing happened. All the way up to 30, nothing happened. Everything's exactly the same. Temperature's going up by one degree, 31 degrees, 32 degrees. At 32 degrees, things started happening. Chunks of diamonds started falling off leaves and twigs and then big shards of ice were falling off the telephone poles. And as it got to 33, 34, 35 degrees, this started to happen more and more rapidly. The moment when the ice changed, first changed from its hard state to its liquid state, that's what we call a breakthrough. But every one degree rise in temperature, like every shovel full of dirt you dig through as you're going through a mountain, is necessary to get to the point of breakthrough. So it's interesting to me because I thought, well, then if that's the way of making a breakthrough, how do you know that you're headed for the light? How do you know you're not tunneling in a circle in there? How do you know that happens in the Count of Monte Cristo? The guy's in a, in a dungeon. He's digging his way out with a spoon. After like 10 years, he breaks through into someone else's cell and it's not fun but he has a friend, so it's kind of fun. Anyway, then he keeps digging with his spoon, this really, really atomic spoon, and um, breaks through into the outside air, jumps into the water, swims to freedom. So, yeah, how do you know you're not just headed toward another person's cell? Well, the way, the whole way that I've done self-help in my life is all with the analogy of compasses. And, um, 
All animals, they now think, are born with some capacity to sense the Earth's magnetic fields and to orient toward, especially toward magnetic north and magnetic south, and then we can get everything else from those two directions. It's kind of like language. If you hear a language before the age of 10, you can later learn that language and speak it without an accent. But if you don't hear the language until you're 20 or 25, you'll always have an accent because the parts of the brain that could modulate that sophisticated, tiny little nuances, they've kind of died off. So I have friends who are from foreign countries who speak better English than I do, but they speak with a, a strong accent because they learned the language later in life. In the same way, we lose the ability to navigate according to our sense of the Earth's magnetic fields. But some people, like many of the peoples, uh, the original peoples of Australia, never lost that capacity and can orient themselves no matter where they go because they use it. All right. Now, you have compasses, you have orientation toward your destiny. And I, I, I used to say maybe we do. It's as if we do. Now I just say we do because it's been tested. I've seen it tested so many times with so many people and it always works that I just feel it's ridiculous to say it doesn't exist. What the compass inside you feels like, you've heard me say this a million times, it's not a wanting, it is a yearning. So there are many things we want and not as many things we yearn for. And the thing I always tell people is, you know, you can make lists of things you want all day long. You can make shopping lists, go to the store, buy things. But when you're awake at night and it's quiet and dark, there are only a few things that your soul really yearns for. And these are the things that are magnetic north for you. And you can't really shake it. So I always wanted to work with language in a way that would cross the abyss between one person and another, between different beings and humanity and between us and the divine. And I remember they, when I was 16, I was, I was in some kind of competition that the high school wanted me to enter. I had a high school that did a lot of competitions. And they said, um, sum up in one sentence your goal in life. And my friend wrote, to make the perfect bagel. And I was like, oh, okay, this is so corny. But, and I remember hammering it out and thinking, this is such BS. I mean, I hope the scholarship people like it because I need the money, but really. And yet when I found that piece of paper, like 50 years later, it was still true. And it was, I want to use words and pictures to cross the divide between people and their true selves, people and each other and people and the, the universe around them. Still what I'm doing. And the yearning was there. Even as a kid, I checked in and throughout my life as I check in, that's what's pulling me through. So what did I do to make that happen? I hacked and hacked and hacked and hacked my way through a big mountain. My, I went in the way of education. So did all the things I needed to do to succeed in high school, college, graduate school, academe. Then I decided I didn't want to be a professor. That wasn't the way I wanted to publish books. Didn't know anyone in publishing. Wrote a book. <laughs> hack, hack, hack. You know, try to get published. Right to 30 to all 32 agents in the directory of agents that I got at the bookstore. They all turned me down. <sighs> Write another book. <laughs> Depression. 
weariness. It's never going to work. It's never going to work. Finally got a letter back from a <laughs> from an agent who later told me that she was under the influence of alcohol and it's the only reason she wrote back, but it worked. And um, sort of kept bashing along until I got a book published and then that book started connecting with people and here we are today. Okay, years, years of bashing before I saw light at the end of the tunnel, right? Let's take different qualities, different, different projects you may have in your life. For example, inwardly, when I, I grew up very depressed and anxious, I sat down to meditate when I was in, uh, when I was 50, I decided to seriously meditate and I sat and I sat and I sat, and this is after many years of doing work on myself and doing therapy and everything. And I sat and I sat and I sat and I was very depressed and anxious, very depressed and anxious. And then one day, pow, I was not, I was quiet. And that's how Nisargadatta Maharaj, one of my favorite spiritual teachers, describes total enlightenment, which I have not reached. <laughs> he says, the fruit ripens and ripens and ripens and ripens, and then it falls off the tree. So that can happen with psychological factors. When I'm coaching people who want a relationship, and they really want either a romantic relationship or a friendship, um, different, a mentorship, it's so interesting because I watch and as I'm coaching them, I feel a wall of energy that they're putting up that they don't know they're putting up, but it's blocking them from meeting the person that is meant to be theirs. And it's so weird for me because I'm like standing outside the mountain. I can see them tunneling away. And then I can see that there's love for them. And I can't tell you how I see it. I just feel it. And I've had clients when I used to see people in person once a week, a person would come and every couple of months I would feel that the the wall between them and the love they were after was getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And then it would be like a soap bubble. And then without exception, when I felt that feeling, they would come in the next week and say, I've met someone. And many of those people are still married today or they're, they're still together in other states of communal bliss. So I've seen that happen with relationships. I've seen it happen with money, where people's money energy is so messed up. They, they want it desperately, but they're terrified of it. And they've got all this conflict and they, it's like a big muddy wall. And they work and they work and they get their energy more clear. They start to think more logically about how to support themselves. They start to find the skills. James Clear says, find the thing you do well that's easy for you and just do it and do it and do it and do it. Like reading and writing were the way I just kept hammering away at my life's goal. Um, and that's how I hammered away at the how to solve the career question too. So anything you're interested in attaining, anything you yearn for in your soul, if you sit every single day, do a small thing, a small thing, a small thing, because I was too sick, weak, and busy to try hard at any of those things over long periods of time. But I just kept going and going and going. And, um, you know, they say it takes an average of 12 years to be an overnight success. <laughs> I, I think it took me a lot longer to be any kind of success. But the pull, the yearning was always there. And I'd give up in despair over and over and over. 
And then I couldn't give up anymore because the yearning wouldn't leave me alone. So I, I'd get up and I'd keep digging. So I hope this hasn't discouraged you thinking, okay, now I have to just wait around for a thousand years until I have my breakthrough. But um, as Camus said, the struggle itself alone is enough to fill the heart. It's the joy of working toward the thing that is our mission in life as spiritual beings having a human experience. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. So let's take some questions here. I'm going to go over to ah Donna. How are you doing? She says, how besides the dark quiet of the night as context, can you tell the difference between wanting and yearning? In the quiet of night, anxiety prevails with me instead of yearning, so I wonder the difference between yearning and wanting. I think you yearn to be free from anxiety, and that's as, not, that's as much as you need. I mean, that you can have a breakthrough on that. If you keep working, and I know you do, you work the problem, you work the problem, you work the problem. If you keep working the problem, you will get the breakthrough. So keep working the problem. You're doing a great job. Now, if you can imagine being without anxiety, if you're in a state where you can't access the thing you yearn for, a really helpful thing can be to imagine having the thing, having a, an ideal situation and then noticing what's present there that you really want or what's absent that you're really yearning to be free of. So if you can do that um, and you can say, oh, I yearn to be free from anxiety and if I can imagine being free from anxiety, what would happen next is creativity or romance or, um, you know, traveling the world. Then you can start to work on those things too. But in general, there are a few big things that show up for people. We want peace, love, joy, freedom. And if we keep working our lives toward those things, we have the breakthrough. And I, meant, I believe we're meant to have all those things. Anne says, how do you work through the fear paralysis to achieve a good breakthrough? That's a great question because if you're in a state of fear, and so many people are, that's why I'm thinking and writing about it now. Um, if you're scared, one of the reactions is paralysis for sure. But you've got a whole very primitive mechanism in there. Okay, so you can go like the spiritual route and try to access the right side of your brain and say, okay, I can feel my connection to the infinite feel the part of myself that is calm, compassionate, clear, curious, creative. I can sort of wrap it around the anxious part of myself and give myself messages of safety. These are all ways that you can start to heal anxiety and neuroplastic pain that's related to anxiety. All these are lovely things. However, if you can't access the part that is like the comfort or wrapping around you, you can access another part of that primitive fear mechanism, which is not just paralysis, but fight or flight. So one of the ways you can do it is to start moving your body. Because 
humans are not allowed to like as children especially when we're in frightened frightful states we're told to sit still a lot or we get negatively reinforced for doing anything so just starting to shake your body physically deliberately sometimes it will lead you to a fit of the shakes that can help the body get through the fear paralysis and go ah okay now i can do things um if that doesn't work try getting angry because the fight flight mechanism it, it trips toward fear, run away, but it also trips toward anger. Even if a, a rabbit or a squirrel gets cornered, it will turn and stop running and, and start to fight as a last ditch resort. So one of the things that I do quite a bit when I'm really terrified of something is I try to think about somebody who told me I couldn't do it. And then I try to get a little ticked off at them. I'm like, hmm. I always remember this guy who told me when I quit um, teaching, he said, now you'll never be anything in your life except a lowly faculty wife, because the, my then husband was, was also a professor, and uh, I like to think about him. <laughs> and he, I, got, I got pretty ticked off at him, and I'm like, guess what? I'm not just going to be a lowly faculty wife. <laughs> faculty life or faculty wife. So if you can get a little angry, then sometimes it'll give you that gumption. Either way, that motion is what you need. And I mean physical motion, not just thinking things through, but actually moving the body is ab absolutely key to having any kind of breakthrough. Even if you're like helpless in bed, as I was for a long time, if you can just move your arms or your head, move what you can. Okay, another Anne says, if steps forward and steps backward are both unrewarding, how can we tell the difference? The step forward feels like something changed. The step backward feels like you're abandoning yourself. It feels, there's a little part of you that's going, you can make it through this rock wall and I need to see the light. And when you go, oh, I think I'm just going to go back and live in the basement for a while, it may go, now you're abandoning me. And now I really, really am upset. And you'll, it will start to have tantrums. And it's almost like a little separate part of you, often a childlike part. And it will start to, it will trip your trigger to get you, get angry. It will throw a little tantrum. You'll end up calling your friends and saying, I can't stand this anymore. I remember so many times just wanting to die quietly and I couldn't, you know, I would have to take up arms against myself as Hamlet says, but I knew when I was pulling back from my destiny because it was absolute soul murder. It was blackness and darkness for that little tantrumy part of myself. And part of me said, this can not be the way it's supposed to work. And I just refused to give up. And I remember like kindling a tiny flame of anger that was like a pilot light. And I was just like, I'm going to use that anger to move forward if I can't use my fear to, uh, to run from what scares me. And I have no courage to go forward toward the light. So I used the whole set of emotions that you have available to you to help you keep making that one little change, that one degree rise in temperature. When you start to see the, the ice fall from the trees when you see the light with that one blow of the hammer and the light's only this big, but there it is. Then it gets very exciting and it's still hard. But this part, the part before the breakthrough, 
That's the hardest. So if you've ever broken through anything, like, I don't know, puberty, <laughs> like look back on things where you actually got to the experience you were waiting for, and that'll help reinforce the, your confidence that you can do it. Danielle says, what to do when you have a yearning for a different life, but it seems the universe is conspiring to keep you in a place that is miserable. I know I need to change my work position, but this is continually blocked confusing messages from the universe. Well, here's the deal. A lot of us see the world working around us, the, the way culture works, the way humans work, the way chance works. And we say the universe is blocked against me because if the universe were on my side, this would come to me easily and without any effort and without any change on my part. I cannot tell you how many times People have paid me a lot of money to basically tell me, I want you to give me a totally different life, but without my having to change anything. And that simply doesn't work. So if the universe is giving you the same message over and over, it's because there's a pattern of behavior that you're repeating. And it's not your fault. In my latest book, The Way of Integrity, I call it errors of innocence. It's an innocent mistake. It was probably something you were taught to do. Like, wait until you get a good job offer or, um, you know, make sure that you work your connections or whatever it is. But if, if you're trying using a pattern of behavior that is continually getting negative messages, you have to start looking in your blind spots and trying things you've never tried before. Because the, mess the universe is get giving you a message. It's saying you want to move forward, but you're not yet making the connection. Keep trying to learn new ways of going forward. That's the digging through the mountain. That's the rising of the temperature. So just a lot of times, if you just open yourself to, okay, the way I'm doing it isn't working. I'm going to give up on that, but I'm not going to give up on my goal. And you talk to people about it and you go to a coach or whatever. I can't tell you how many times I've felt totally blocked. And it was a different person who told me, oh, here's a way that things could happen. And I it shattered a blind spot. And that was a breakthrough. But if I hadn't been struggling so hard and gone to a friend, that wouldn't have come to me. So keep working. It'll happen. Lydia says, how do you know what the small steps are? Is that meant to be obvious? No, nothing's meant to be obvious. <laughs> um, you know what the small steps are because that's where your brain is supposed to come in as well as your heart. You feel the direction of the step with the heart, but then you try to get as much knowledge and information as you can from the world around you to see what the small steps might be. And pretty much anything you want, there are small steps that are spelled out by people who've gone before us. So I use Dante's Inferno as the model for the book I just wrote because he lived, you know, however many, ooh, 700 years ago, and yet he'd already traveled the road that I wanted to follow toward, you know, from misery to peace, joy, a life of continuous unfolding miracles and all of that. There are wise people who've gone before and we should stand on their shoulders. And then they'll make it a lot more obvious for us. Sally says, I feel like I'm hanging on to the disbelief that the universe has got me totally by a single fingernail. Really want to fully trust and let go. Any advice? Yeah, wait until you're in so much pain you can't hang on any longer. That's the only thing I've ever done. I couldn't let go voluntarily. 
I was too scared. So I would hang on and hang on and not trust the universe. I remember I wrote about this when I was pregnant with my son and he'd been diagnosed with Down syndrome and I didn't know if he would live or die, ruin my life or not, whatever. Um, I remember being so sick and so distressed and so hopeless and I played a videotape of the Jungle Book um, for my two-year-old daughter. And there's a song where this python sings to the little boy to put him to sleep so he can eat him. And the song goes, trust in me, just in me, close your eyes and trust in me. And I remember being so sick and I sat there and this is a snake singing, but the words just, I was so over everything. And just hearing this sort of whispered song, trust, trust, trust. Because I was at the end of my rope, I let go. And I fell asleep. I hadn't been able to sleep for a long time. And that was a tiny breakthrough. Every time you make a little progress, you see, oh, I have a pile of rock. I see I have made it. I have made some progress because I made a pile of rocks today. And you see little tiny things, little tiny gains. And that tells you, oh, the temperature is rising. The ice will thaw. I'm getting through the mountain. The light will come. And uh, just keep gathering your little rocks every day. Stephanie says, do people often get a sense when they're on the brink of a breakthrough? Or is it mostly spontaneous when it pops into your experience? Or when it pops in your experience? I think you feel it. I think there's a part of you that's outside of time that knows you're meant to have this thing. And it's the one calling you forward. And it's pulling you through time, your physical self. And right before the thing is meant to come into your line of time, you feel it so intensely with the part of yourself that's outside of time that it's almost like the frustration level becomes overwhelming because you can almost feel it and it feels like it should already have happened, but you don't have it. Like you should already have met the person you're meant to be with, but they're not here. You should already have the job you're meant to have, but you don't. And it's like, it's a particular type of baffled frustration that I have learned over my many years always comes right before. So if you have that feeling of like, oh, I can't do this one more day, go one more day and one more day and one more day and then Okay, Tracy says, how do you stand fast in your digging and digging? But culture wants a measurable goal. Even the best intentioned friends are pushing you to achieve. Yeah, that's a tough one, especially because the things you yearn for may not come by measures your culture values. So your, your ultimate goal may be peace. Ultimately, that is the biggest goal for everyone I've ever worked with. But our culture doesn't have any signposts for peace and no rewards for peace at all. In fact, people who are really, really peaceful tend to be seen as boring. I love Eckhart Tolle. I love listening to him. His energy like puts me in this state of absolute stillness that I just love. And I remember someone telling me she was organizing a conference. And um, she said, I, do you know any good speakers? And I said, you should get Eckhart Tolle. And she said, no, I tried that once. People walked out. And then I listened to a workshop where he says, yeah, when people come to my lectures and they're not interested in peace, they just walk out because it doesn't look like anything to them. So the culture actually probably won't give you a lot of values. So what you need to do is really develop the I respectfully do not care response 
Like, oh, I really get that you want my success in this. Or th- I, I get that you want me to be a doctor, mom. I really do. And I love you so much. And I can tell you from the depths of my heart, I really don't mind that you think that. And I'm not going to do it. It's hard. It's really hard. But what happens is once you start going toward your real values, after many years you make the breakthroughs, then people can, they can see what you've done. So after this happened to me for about, you know, 40 years, I saw how breakthroughs worked. And then people would say to me, you're working on this thing and it's not going anywhere. It's not going to be anything. And I learned to sit back and say, okay, watch. Let's just watch. Because I knew the feeling of being pulled forward. I knew what it felt like to dig. And I know that the light always comes. And other people can just see it when it happens. We're a little over, but we started a little over. So I'm going to take a couple more questions. Nicole says, any advice to people that struggle with what to focus on when they want to do 10 different things and how to decide and take steps when struggling to take any action at all? Well, the first thing, I'll take the second question first. Know that rest is often the most important step toward your breakthrough. You cannot tunnel all the time. You have to lay down your tools and count your pile of rocks and be proud of yourself and have a drink of water and a meal with friends and then get back to digging tomorrow. So if you cannot take any more steps because you're tired or distressed, rest replenish, reward, celebrate where you are and what you've done so far, and then go back tomorrow. Um, And trying to focus when you want to do 10 different things, that is the story of my life with ADHD. Well, I don't have the HD. I only have the ADD part, which is sad because I have no energy to follow through. (laughs) I'm just interested in everything. So what I do is I work with whatever gives me the most passion at the moment, and I try to inch forward And I used to have a list of like 10 different things that I wanted to achieve. And every day I'd take a little tiny step toward each and every one. Now it's boiled down to more like three things. But I still have to take a little step every day toward each one. Or I don't feel that sense of, oh, I've got a little pile of rocks. I'm going to see the light soon. Okay, so yeah, just just work forward on as many fronts as you want. But do it every day. Okay, and then finally, what do you do, sorry, I can't see this, with extreme resistance when you imagine, when trying to imagine with what you most deeply yearn for? Give it time. The suffering will get worse. Sorry, that's ending on a bummer. But no, your whole system, your whole psyche, your whole spirit is designed to help you keep going toward the breakthroughs you're meant to have. So when you stop going, when you go the other way, when you lay down your tools, something inside you goes, no, and you end up saying, okay, I'll pick up my tools again. I'm hammering through the mountain. So your soul won't let you stop and it will help you continue. And it will tell you every day that your little pile of rocks was well worth hacking out of that mountain. And it will keep telling you, don't stop. And then one day, clink, The rock you chip out of that mountain will be the last one before you see the light. And then after that, it gets a lot more fun. So happy digging, you guys. I love you very much. And I'll see you again later on The Gathering Room. (laughs) 
It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025. But I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star.